Good morning, everyone. It is a good news story. We are in a series about good news. I'm going to give you some good news right now for the kids. You're going to have to listen to me for the next 30 minutes. So you're going to be able to go to Upstreet. So if all the um, Upstreet students, everybody in Upstreet would head to the back and meet Mikkel back in the back. As you do that, kids, I'm going to ask moms and dads and others here, if you would turn to someone and tell them, share something that you would be afraid to do if you were asked to do it. Something that you know that you would be terrified to do if someone asked you to do it. Okay, just turn to share that with a couple people around you, at least one person. Something that you know you would be scared to do. I'm just curious if anyone said this. Uh, anyone say that you had to speak in public? Anybody say that? Well, that seems to be one of the top fears of people uh, is having to speak in public uh, in front of other people. It's very interesting about our fears. Today we're going to talk about what it's like to move from a place of fear to a place of faith. We're in this good news series, and a lot of you have been turning in good news stories, and it's really encouraging to hear that there is good stuff happening in our world. Because the good news from the Gospel of Mark tells us that we now arrive at chapter 5 in the Gospel. And it's at this point in his ministry that Jesus is really on quite a roll. I mean, he's kind of just kind of humming on all cylinders. The chapter starts with him releasing or restoring or healing a man who has been demon-possessed to the point that he's been chained up for years to keep him from harming himself and other people. And after this encounter, this incredible encounter with a demon-possessed man, Jesus crosses the lake, and as he gets to the other side, there's already a huge crowd of people waiting for him. And a synagogue leader by the name of Jairus falls at his feet, and he begs Jesus to come back to his house to heal his sick daughter, who is at the point of death. And Jesus agrees to go with Jairus, but on his way home or to his home, Jesus has this most interesting encounter with another character that we're going to focus on for a few moments. Just like Jairus' daughter, she is also in need of some good news. But unlike his daughter, she has no influence. She has no ability really to get Jesus to notice her. It's a very interesting thing about healing and how our bodies work. At some point in your life, and my life, just about every person I've ever known needs healing of some kind. Healing does take place, but it's the strangest thing. We just can't control it on our own. A couple of weeks ago, I was riding down the road in my car, and I happened to look down, and I literally saw blood everywhere. Like all over my pants, it was smeared across my steering wheel, it was on the, the drive shaft of my car, my, my gear. And I'm looking down and I'm thinking to myself, am I bleeding to death? What's going on here? And I couldn't find it and at first I didn't know what was going on and then I realized I was getting old. And when you get old, apparently you cut yourself but you don't really know it. I don't know if you, any older folks know what I'm talking about. But somehow I had cut the back of my small finger, had gashed it open on something, I have no idea what, 
And I was bleeding to death right there in my car. So I reached down and I grabbed um, wet naps. Let me tell you about wet naps, if you don't know this. There are some that have alcohol in them and some that don't. Mine apparently have alcohol in them because as soon as I touched it to my skin, there was this process that began in my brain. And the first process was it sent this kind of uh, signal to my finger that says, tell the idiot to stop rubbing me with the wet nap. Even more so important, a process started in that very moment when I stopped the bleeding. I don't know if you know this, but in that moment in your life and my life when we're bleeding, little platelets began going to that area where the wound was. Immediately it began the clotting process. That both stops the bleeding and it's designed to keep infection from going into your body. Then in the next phase, scientists tell us that there's something called polymorphonuclear neutrophils. You all knew that, right? And they flooded that area of my finger and then began to eat up the bacteria. They did that actually for a couple of days. They're kind of like superheroes of your body. And then something called macrophages come and like little Pac-Men, they began to eat that bacteria. And finally, there's a phase called the healing phase or the remodeling phase where new tissue actually replaces the old tissue. And if you look today, you can hardly notice where that cut was. What's astounding about this to me is that my body did all this and I don't understand it at all. Somehow I did it, but I didn't do it. Somehow healing happened, but it wasn't under my control. And sometimes healing does happen in this world, friends. And it's not the way I want, and it's not when I want, and it's not how I want. Sometimes healings leave a scar. Sometimes healings leave a limp. This is an amazing thing about our world. Healing happens, but it's not just in our bodies. Did you know that healing happens throughout this earth? You've been watching the news, I'm sure, and seeing the California fires that are just rampant, just destroyed more uh, forestry and, and, and uh, property than ever before in the history of that state. Everything, as you look at it, is now ugly and charred. But believe it or not, there's going to become a moment, there's going to come a moment where this little miracle is going to happen and little green sprouts are going to shoot up through the ground. I was learning a while ago that giant sequoia trees in their pine cones, the seeds that they have in their pine cones will release new life, but they will only do it if there's a tremendous fire that takes place first. It's like God has built healing into the way the earth works. Now, I bring this up because a little people called Israel a long time ago came to believe something very significant about the kind of being that God is. Let me explain it this way. Most people you can divide up into two categories. One category is there are people who are savers. And there are other categories of people who are throwers. What I mean by that is some people save stuff and some people just toss it out. Usually those two people get married. A buddy of mine was talking about this with me and he said that he had bought his little girl a goldfish along with his wife. And after only a couple of days, the fish was kind of listless and not swimming around much. 
And he said to his wife, he says, you know, I don't think this fish is going to make it, babe. And she immediately said, get rid of it. We'll get another one. So they had a piece of furniture that had been in his house for a long time. The upholstery was ripped. The arm was kind of broken. He said to his wife, he said, babe, this chair isn't doing well at all. She immediately said, just get rid of it. We'll get another one. Just like it. The next day, my buddy came down with a nasty case of the flu. Wasn't doing too well. He said, I wasn't about to say a word because <laughs> I knew which category she was in. There are savers and there are throwers. In Israel, they came to believe with all of their heart that God was a saver. When God made stuff and it broke down, he always wanted to save it. And that means God is a healer. And they would express this in some of the most amazing ways, especially in literature. They would say things like this. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You think about a little mom eagle had a little baby eagle and it's maybe too little to fly or its wing might have gotten broken and it's not working right. She would just take that little eagle and tuck that little eaglet into her great big wings and she would fly with her. A guy named Ray Vanderlaan writes about this. Over time, he said this picture of God's wings became an important part a important image of God's protection and God's healing for that nation. In fact, the psalmist would write, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. I think I've told you this before, but I'll say this again. One of the coolest words in the Hebrew language is the word for wing, like under God's wing. It's the word kanaf. It's also the word that is used for the corner of a garment, specifically that a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, would wear. They call it a prayer shawl. They still wear them. And at the bottom of these prayer shawls, there would be tassels, all kinds of tassels that would remind them, each one of them, of a commandment of God because those commandments were something that offered the nation of Israel and God's people the healing of God. Eventually, rabbis would come to talk about that we obey these commandments because they exist for the healing of all the world. And these little corners, these little tassels on these garments, on these prayer shawls, were called kanafs. Over time, a wonderful tradition was born in Israel, and the prophet Malachi kind of talks about this in Malachi 4. He says, unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise, listen now, with healing in his wings. And one day, he says, the Messiah is going to come. And in his kanaf, in his prayer shawl, in the corners of his garments, there's going to be healing in his wings. At Christmas time this year, I'm sure at some point we're going to sing a song that many of you have sang before. Hark the herald angels sing. Everybody know this song, right? Do you remember a part of this song? Maybe the second or third verse. It says, light and life to all he brings. Risen with what? Healing in his wings. They believe this to the core of their being in Israel. And every once in a while, we would see in the Old Testament where God would act in some amazing ways. 
They're kind of, kind of spread out through especially the Old Testament. Periodically, when God wanted to reveal something about his kingdom, something would happen miraculously. For example, a king named Hezekiah receives healing. A guy who's not even from Israel named Naaman is healed of leprosy. And then we come to the New Testament and a rabbi by the name of Jesus comes on the scene. And he's this wonderful teacher, but he's also, interestingly enough, a healer. And the reason this is fundamental to his ministry is because Jesus was giving us just a small foretaste of what God was going to do when he finally heals this entire world once and for all. And this brings us to the good news story in Mark chapter 5. Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. And here's what happens. A large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Now I love this part of the story because this is kind of a little backdrop of the Gospels. little inside deal. We're reading from the Gospel of Mark, as you know. But this story is told in three different Gospels. Luke tells his story. You can look it up later. But Luke leaves out the part about the woman suffering a great deal under the care of many doctors. And he leaves out the part that she spent all her money giving it to doctors. Why? Luke is a doctor. And Doc said, I don't like that part. <laughs> so he just kind of conveniently leaves it out. Now, I want you to imagine being this woman. For 12 years, she suffers physically. She's weak, no energy. She suffers financially. She's probably now at this point lost all of her money, according to Mark. Probably a beggar by now. She suffers spiritually, certainly. One of the reasons why is because the Old Testament law was pretty clear. If she was in a state where there was a problem of bleeding, that there was this constant bleeding, that meant she was unclean. That meant that she touched anyone, they would become unclean. That means the bed where she slept was unclean. The chair where she sat was unclean. If you sat on that chair, you would become unclean. There was this, this stigma attached to this uncleanliness. I'm sure she would have heard some of the stupid things that people say when somebody is suffering. Like, if you had enough faith, you wouldn't be suffering. You must have done something wrong. God must be displeased with you for some reason. She has to live with that kind of junk for 12 years. I don't know, but probably she was a mom. Most women in those days were mothers. If she had children, she couldn't touch them. That means they would be unclean. Imagine going to bed every night and you could not tuck your kids into bed. Imagine your kid whacking their finger with a little hammer or something and that finger is bleeding and mom, what do, they, what do kids want mom to do? Of course, kiss it, make it better. You can't do that. Why? It's unclean. If she's married, if she's married any longer, her husband could not touch her. He would be unclean. And if she's lost her marriage by now, just think about it. Every night she goes to bed and she prays, God, will you heal me? And every morning she wakes up, and some of you in this room know what I'm talking about. She wakes up and she thinks, maybe this is the day, but it's not. 
And then she hears about this amazing rabbi and healing seems to be happening wherever he's at. So we come to the part of the story that is just amazing. She said, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. She gets this crazy notion in her mind, this crazy scheme. She thinks, if I could just get to him, I don't have to stop him. I don't have to get his attention. I just want to get to him. If I could just get to him, something good will happen. I'm going to give you a really poor example of this, okay? Many of you are old enough to remember one of the greatest TV shows ever to come on TV. It was led by a name named Lucy. It was called I Love Lucy. Do you remember Lucy, Lucille Ball? you remember any time that a well-known person, a celebrity or someone famous or someone well-known, would, they would come around, she would always want to get near them. And she would always come up with these crazy harebrained schemes. She would disguise herself or she would be sneaky or she would want some way to get with this person without her husband, Ricky, finding out. And of course, every episode, Ricky always found out. And Ricky always said the same thing to her. What he would say, Lucy, you've got some splaining to do. I don't know if her name was Lucy, but this woman gets this crazy harebrained idea. I'm going to track down Jesus and I'm just going to try to touch him without him knowing and maybe I'll be healed. So full of fear, petrified. But with great boldness, she approaches him from behind. All three gospels have the same detail in it. All three say she came up from behind because she was afraid. She says, I just want to touch him. Think about this. Touching is something that you do when you want something from somebody. Think about when you were a little kid. I had two brothers and a sister still do. When we were growing up, when we were little, if we wanted something from my mom and she was resistant, if she wouldn't pay attention to us, if she was distracted, do you know what we would do? We would stand beside her and we would poke her and we would just say, mom, 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 mom. Mom, mom. And eventually, she would knock us out of the way or she would answer us. There's something about touching somebody. This woman gets this idea, if I just touch his clothes. Now listen, why does this occur to her? This is very important. It's not just his clothes. It's the corner of his what? His prayer garment, his cloak his prayer shawl, his kanaf. It's possible that this woman is thinking, this is the one that we've been waiting for with healing in his wings. If I just touch his kanaf, if I just touch the corner of his garment, maybe, just maybe. And she pushes in, she presses in, she reaches out, and she touches the corner of that garment. And this is what it says. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from suffering. This unbelievable, electrifying moment that she says, wow, this is what it feels like to be normal. This is what it feels like to have strength. This is what it feels like to feel well. And she thinks, thank you, God. I got what I came for. 
But that's not the end of the story. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear. (laughs) This is a great part of the story because we see Jesus in all of his glory and power and yet all of his humanity at the same time. He feels strength, uh, something, virtue go out of him. And he knows it's from God. He knows that. But he also doesn't know who. He says, who? And the disciples, come on, Jesus. Don't you see all these people here? What do you mean, who? Everybody's touching you. He says, no, somebody really touched me. And he looks around and he makes contact with this woman. And she looks at Jesus. Jesus is like, Lucy. <laughs> She falls at his feet, scared to death, because in her mind, she has to be thinking, I broke the law. I've made a rabbi unclean. And then there's this amazing phrase in this passage that says, she told him the whole truth. Wouldn't you love to have been there for the story? I just want to say to anybody here who ever needs healing of any kind in your life, in any way, you really don't get healing with Jesus without bringing the whole truth. She falls at his feet. I don't know what she said. Maybe she said, Jesus, I I didn't have enough faith to approach you face to face. I really haven't believed very well. I haven't prayed very well. I haven't been kind of mom I wanted to be. I don't have any money. I feel like a failure. (laughs) I was terrified. I knew I was breaking the law. She's shaking like a leaf. Remember I said the thing that you would be asked to do that you would be terrified to do. And in that moment, Shaking like a leaf, she looks up at Jesus, and Jesus says these words. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Think about this. Nobody's called her daughter in a long time. You're a daughter of God. You're a daughter of Israel. Now, here's the part of the story I don't want you to miss. Why in the world does Jesus do this? I mean, she got healing. That's what she wanted. That's what she needed. She got what she was looking for. Why did she have to go through this kind of embarrassing moment? Why does Jesus make her talk face to face with him? I think it's because, maybe because, Jesus wants her to have more than just a physical healing. Maybe something in Jesus says, you know, this is the kind of woman that I would really like to get to know. Perry Noble writes about this and he says, with Jesus, it's okay to not be okay. At our church, we talk about everybody's welcome and nobody's perfect and anything's possible. That's what we're really saying here is it's okay not to be okay, friends. In fact, I want to tell you, Jesus specializes in people who are not okay. And if you are okay, if you think you're okay, you're probably not going to do really well with Jesus. 
You'll remember that we began with a wealthy synagogue leader named Jairus coming. He was asking if Jesus would come and heal his daughter who was at the point of death. And they're on the way and they get interrupted by this woman. This is a great part of the story. I don't want you to miss this. This actually happens in the Gospels pretty often. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark will do this on several occasions where he kind of stuffs one story inside of another story. It's called like a Markin sandwich. Luke sometimes does the same things. And what you need to be asking when you read these stories is why are these two stories put together like this? What is the relationship between Jairus' request and his daughter and this anonymous woman? Because you need to understand this is more than just a story about a woman being healed. This is something about something beautiful and deeper and surprising about Jesus that he wants us to know. And in this story, it's the contrast between the two. Jairus gets there first. If he's like most of us, He's probably thinking, hey, lady, take a number and get in line. Jairus is a man. He even has a name in this story. His name is Jairus. Guess what her name is? We have no clue. He has money because apparently he has servants, so he has status. He's a leader in the synagogue. On the other hand, we have this woman in the story. We don't even know her name. We know she has no money, so she has no status. She's given everything to doctors. She's considered unclean. We have Jairus on the one hand who is a somebody, and we have this anonymous woman on the other side who is a nobody. And what Jesus, I think, is trying to say is, listen, I'm going to interrupt somebody to be with nobody. That ought to make you happy. What this is telling us is that Jesus believes that nobodies are somebodies. With Jesus, the first really do become last and the last become first. Listen, it's fabulous because he's going to go on and help Jairus' daughter. Jairus is a somebody. Everybody in the crowd is expecting that. This woman comes out of nowhere, nowhere and she's a nobody. And what I want you to know is in the kingdom, the good news, here's the good news of today, is that nobody's become somebody. In the kingdom, in fact, nobody is a nobody. (laughs) In this kingdom, you're never a nobody. So I don't know what you're dealing with this morning. I don't know what you're fighting with. I don't know what you're grappling with. I don't know what you need in healing, in the way of healing. All I know this is that healing can happen. In just a few moments, we're going to approach God for healing together. But before we do, I want you to be serious about this for a moment. Where in your life do you need healing today? J.R.R. Tolkien, the author who wrote the Lord of the Rings books, he loved the idea that God was a healer. In fact, uh, Tolkien was a, a Christ follower. And if you've ever read any of his works, you know that There's this image of wounding and scars that is just kind of woven throughout his books. There's the wound that Frodo and Gollum bore from carrying the ring. There's the way that the land was wounded in Mordor. There's the tree people from the the Ents, those great people, and then the scouring of the uh, Shrier. And over and over again, 
this image comes up of a wound that needs to be healed. And I love this line from Tolkien. He says, For it is said in old lore, The hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. The hands of the king are the hands of a healer. And he writes about how in the ancient world it was thought that the kings in the land who were in power had the power to actually heal because they were in power and because of their greatness, because of their strength, because of their nobility. He says it was that way except for one king who was risen with healing in his wings. He does not heal out of strength because surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. By the head that bore a crown of thorns and bled. By the back that bore a splintered cross. And by a side that was pierced with a sword to the blood and water gushed out. By hands that had nails driven through them. The hands of the king are the hands of the healer. And healing may not happen the way we want it to. Listen, it may not happen the way we expect it to. Listen, it may not even happen the way we need it to. But the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. I know we're not in control, friends. I know that. So here's the question. Where do you need healing? In just a moment, we're going to play some music and just kind of sing a closing song together. But as we're doing that, I want to give you a chance today to come and ask the king for healing. There's going to be some folks who are going to come. In fact, they can just come now if they would. These are leaders and elders and folks who believe that prayer really works. They're going to come and stand on both outer edges of the stage. And all they're here to do really is just to pray and agree with you, okay, agree with you so that you can reach out and touch and find healing in the wings of Jesus. Today you might need healing from a broken relationship, a broken heart. You maybe have suffered a tremendous loss. Maybe there's a failure that weighs on you and maybe you've never been able to tell the whole truth. Maybe you're dealing with guilt or shame or maybe there was something in your past. Maybe you've been abused, an affair, or you've gone through something horrible. Maybe you were neglected or even abused when you were younger. Maybe you got fired from your job or you're battling addiction. Maybe you're a parent and you feel like I'm, I'm not able to connect with my kids. Or maybe you're a young person today and says, I really just can't relate to mom or dad. Maybe it's something in your body or something in your mind or something in your spirit. We believe in prayer. We believe that healing can happen. Now, if you're not going to come forward, that's okay. You can pray right where you are and worship where you are. And I ask you to be respectful of that. But I just want to say to some of you who are saying, I really would love to come forward and, and agree with somebody in prayer and have them agree with me. But, you know, if I come forward, I know people are going to know that I'm not perfect and there's something wrong. And I just want to let you know, friends, we already know it. <laughs> This is not a place, this is not a church for perfect people. This is a place where we cheer on imperfect people who need God and will admit it. Let me say it again. He comes with healing 
in his wings. Lord Jesus, we just now, we just say thank you and bless you for calling us your son and your daughter. For providing that healing that we need, even in ways we don't always understand are in our best interest. And we especially thank you about and for that healing we will experience ultimately one day that many of us hold on for and look forward to. Thank you for that, Jesus. Amen.